Hello, everyone. Welcome to the University of Alberta's Women Empowering Women podcast, Who Chats. Before we get started, I would like to begin by announcing that the University of Alberta acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our community. For those that are returning, welcome back. And for those who are brand new listeners, welcome. My name is Herman, and I go by the pronouns she slash her. I'm one of the co-hosts and an internal committee member. My name is Eileen. I go by the pronouns she slash her. I'm also a fellow co-host and internal committee member. We are pleased to announce our brand new series titled Women in Academia. In this series, you will hear from empowering women that come from various academic backgrounds who are breaking barriers and promoting inclusivity in academic environments. So to kick off our series, we are pleased to have Dr. Alexandra Bastiani joining us as our first guest. Dr. Bastiani is Canada's first Black woman interventional cardiologist. She's also the first Black student to accomplish this field at the University of Montreal in the Faculty of Medicine. She's a trailblazer who is breaking barriers and is the true embodiment of representation and woman empowerment. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Bastiani. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and your upbringing? Okay, well, um, first of all, thank you for having me, girls. This is, I, I love when, when students reach out to me because it's always, for me, it's just, it's not too far from me. Like, I ju- literally just finished um, um, to study actually at the University of Alberta. So that on top of that, I really wanted to do that with you guys. Um, I am 33 years old. I uh, grew up in Montreal. I was born and raised in Montreal. Uh, my parents are Haitian, so usually I go by a Canadian Haitian or even Haitian uh, most of the time. Uh, I was raised, uh, um, I was raised uh, like a true little Haitian kid. All my life I was in Montreal. I did my medical studies in Montreal. Um, and after becoming a cardiologist, I wanted to do something more. So I traveled. I went to the other side of the country, uh, uh, spent two years in Alberta, in Edmonton specifically, um, becoming a, a, a specialist. Um, and then I moved back to the East and I'm now established in Ontario. Yeah, thank you for that. So for those that aren't familiar, can you explain what interventional cardiologists do? And how does it feel to be the first Black woman in this specialization? Because I think it's absolutely crazy that you're the first Black female interventional cardiologist in Canada, especially in this day and age, because there's tons of women and tons of women in color who are pursuing medicine. But I was still surprised to hear that these kinds of disparities still exist. No, definitely. Um, So an interventional cardiologist, first to to answer your first question, is a cardiologist, so a specialist, a doctor who specializes in uh, cardiovascular disease including, uh, you know, heart attacks, um, high, high blood pressure, stuff like that. So um, this is um, the main part of our practice. And then when you're finishing, when you finish uh, studying to become a, a cardiologist, you have a choice uh, to either practice as a general cardiologist or um, go further and do some more um specialization. So an interventional cardiologist, to become an interventional cardiologist, it requires two more years of training. 
uh, on top of six years of six years to become a cardiologist. What I do is um, I treat um, car, um, I treat disease in the in the arteries of the heart um, blockages basically, uh, and I and I go in there through what we call uh, through a minimally invasive procedure. So I don't cut the chest open or nothing like that, but I go through the wrist or through a little hole in the groin. And then I insert my little instruments, go up the way up to the heart and treat the blockages in the arteries with my instruments. So that's what I do. So where did your passion for medicine come from? We would love to hear about your journey and the struggles and successes that you may have faced and how you've come into being the position you are today. And you know, like you mentioned, you are a child of immigrant parents and yes. being a first generation Haitian. So in what ways have your parents or family inspired you as well? Where did my passion come from? Um, for cardiology, to be honest, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. This, 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 uh, this passion, I would say, or maybe this choice that I made, I made it, uh, let's say, midway in, in, in high school. Um, I loved sciences. I wanted to be my own boss. I uh, loved human contact and, uh, you know, to, to be able to interact with, with people um, <clears throat> um, in the context of my job. So um, after researching and, and, you know, just just looking around, I figured, you know, why not medicine? And then when I got accepted in medicine, I realized how I loved the heart system and that doesn't just include the heart it includes all the great vessels of the body um so i i am um, i realized how how much i loved the the cardiovascular system um how simple it was but also how, how complex and how important um it was and all the complexity uh, of the of the disease that could affect the heart so i was kind of triggered by that and i chose to go into cardiology um it is it is um you you asked me before how did it feel to to be the first um i have to be honest with you um initially when i realized that was happening that was the case actually i i didn't react much i was uh, of course it surprises but i was like okay next next you know it's not like it changes something to my life per se um but then again i realized that you know this was maybe a big deal because that had never been done before by someone who looked like me. And then I understood how, I mean, I understood what that meant to other people um, who have the same color, other people, other ladies of the girls. Um, so, so, and then I, I, I became proud of that and I became proud to broadcast that to say, hey, if you look like me, um, you can also do it. Because that's not what society um, shows us, you know. As growing up, I it I did not. I have one doctor in my family. My all my my mom and my all my aunties are nurses, um, but you didn't see that on TV, you know. Um, I think the last time I saw a doctor as a, as a as a teenager, last time I had seen a black doctor on TV, it was. Um, the Cosby Show, so you can understand how. I mean, some people don't even know what the Cosby Show is, so that tells you how how far it is, right? And then when I realized how important that may be for people that look like me, then I started, you know, understanding why it was so important. Yeah, I think what you're saying about representation 
is really important because I myself, I'm a student in science. And when we think of a scientist, the first thing that our mind goes to is we think of a male in a white coat, generally oh. a white male in a white coat. <laughs> exactly, like the crazy mad scientist sort of um, yeah. archetype, right? So when I was pursuing sciences and wanting to see if it was a field for me, I was pretty hesitant when I wanted to go in because there wasn't anyone that looked like me, first of all. And there wasn't, there's still a really big disparity between males and females. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying about representation, I think is really valuable. And yes, I really great. love that you are part of what you're part of because it can tell other girls out there that, hey, she looks like me. And mm -hmm. that's totally something that I can do in the future. Exactly. Yeah. How is it also being a double minority, being a woman and being black in such a male dominated field for you? How have you seen it so far? First of all, let's just face it. Studying to become a doctor is in itself a huge challenge. So I salute everybody, anyone. Um, and I can just speak for something that I know, um, but I salute anyone who achieves that. Um, now, the concept of double minority, I, 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 it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I, I came up with that in my head at some point. I didn't know it was a thing. I was, I just said it at some point and I realized that it was actually a thing, you know, um, being black in a system where everybody is, um, is white or so, um, you know, you're always the different one. You're always the one who has to prove that you deserve to be there. At least that's how I felt. Um, so it, which makes you start from, you know, you kind of start from a foot behind because you have to work to be there, but you also have to prove that you deserve this spot. So, um, I don't think that's fair. I think it makes the whole experience even more stressful and demanding. Um, and being a, being a girl, um, you know, now that, you know, it's, it's starting to be a little bit more girls in medicine. Um, but in cardiology, we still face that disparity and there, there are more um, uh, males than females. So especially in my field, um, I think it's something like 25 to 30% of female in the whole community of interventional cardiologists in Canada. So something like that, yeah. Like a little bit more than 200s. So what happens is that you're dropped in the men's world, what we call a boys club. So I remember having to fight to be able to express my mind. I remember having to fight to just, you know, be able to try something or, and whenever I would be loud or whenever I would uh, put my foot down, I was referred to as, well, either the angry black girl and or um, the crazy girl, you know, just not, if not referring to my, the color of my skin, it was just, oh, she, she must be in her period. She must be this. She must be that. You know, there's always something um, to bring back the fact that, you know, I was different. So it, it's difficult. It's, it's more difficult. That's for sure. Um, but you know, that's usually what I, what I say to people. Like if ever you have a goal in mind, I guess it's like, it's like you kind of brush off everything and just keep going. Right. Um, cause you want to succeed. You'll get there with a little bit more scratches. Um, you know, and, and I love saying that I grew balls <laughs> during my residency and during my, during my, um, my, my fellowship in Edmonton. Um, we're not supposed to say that anymore. I know, but it's just to, to express the fact that, you know, I was surrounded by males all the time, like all the time. So, you know, at some point you, 
<laughs> you got to play their game, right? No, I totally get what you're saying. It's like you technically have to work twice as hard, right? Almost. You just really ha- always have to to prove that, you know, you're in the right spot. Mm-hmm. So. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that like there was an incident while you were in medical school where you were denied entry to one of your um, <laughs> tricks. Yes. Where did you hear that? Yes, it happened. <laughs> I, they, they finally let me get in, in the class, but I think I lost something like maybe like it wasn't maybe an hour or two hours. And I spent like 20, 30 minutes trying to figure out a way to, to get in class. And, you know, I, I used to finish my exams super fast, but that's not the point. It's just the whole state of mind now changed. You're, you're, you're upset. You're, you know, it's, 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 it's not, it's not like you're just late and the, the bus was late. It's you, you literally face racism while trying to, you know, build something for yourself. So it's just kind of like, they didn't want to let me in literally. Yeah. Like you were kind of like being held back from pursuing like that level of success in a way. Yeah, exactly. And you, you and you ask yourself why, because it, that's why I'm, 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 I'll, I'll never say it enough. It's embedded in the, in, in, in the society and the, you know, it's in the core of the society. It's like that person saw me and said to themselves, um, this student may be lost, but this is systemic. This isn't in the way they think, you know, because I look different, I shouldn't be there or there must be an error or mistake, you know? So we're we're coming from far, that's for sure. So I believe you completed your interventional fellowship here at our lovely university, the U of A. Yes. So do you want to explain how it was and also how you found um, Edmonton, really? So the, it's a funny story because I had one of my best friends um, who lives in from Montreal moved to Alberta over 10 years ago. I had been to Alberta before. I even had been to Edmonton um, by coming to see my friend. So I knew about the West. And in my opinion, it's not because I did the program. When I was looking for my fellowship, I, from what I figured, what I found out, I thought the program in Edmonton was one of the best. Um, just talking about um, um, the people I was going to be able to work with. Uh, some of the greatest specialists in Canada are there. You know, we had a, one of the one one specialist that he does a certain type of procedure. Um, and he was known internationally. He was working in Edmonton. Um, we had a lot of people who uh, were chairs and and also who were. Uh, I had the editor in chief of the Canadian Journal of of Can- Cardiology, not the editor in chief, but anyway, one of the editors um, who was there, someone who was participating in writing guidelines. It was like a MVP like team when I was looking at, you know, and also at what they were offering. Um, so uh, that's that's one of the main things why I, I wanted to go to Alberta. I chose to move because I could have done my fellowship in Montreal, but I wanted to explore. I wanted to go somewhere else. Um, so, um, so I applied. How did you find Edmonton to be? Oh, I loved Edmonton. It became, it became a second home. I was, I was, uh, I had an apartment right in front of the, of the, of the river. It was beautiful. Um, I made friends, amazing friends that are still close to my heart. 
Um, it was beautiful two years. And it was the first time I was in my own apartment. So it was kind of like becoming an adult all of a sudden. So it was pretty fun. Um, and, uh, and the Rockies, of course, you know, the West, West, the West of Canada is just beautiful. Um, so yeah, I miss it actually. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you had a good time. And you know, the thing is my, my team in, in Edmonton in interventional cardiology, I think they must be, to my opinion, and I'm probably biased, um, one of the most inclusive and welcoming team that I had to work with, um, you know, there's always the daily microaggressions, but um, I was actually working with one of the female interventional cardiologists in Canada, and there's not a lot of them. Um, so there, there was one in my center, and they were just always there to push me and help me get, um, you know, better. And uh, my program director helped me find a job. Like, you know, it's, 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 it was a little family, and it became, and I still talk to them once in a while. So it really became uh, a second home. We're so happy to hear that. <laughs> So actually, I want to shift directions a little bit, and I want to read you a story that I found online. Um, it's a little anecdote from an anonymous doctor, and it goes, medical students get regular evaluations on their performance in the hospital. During one evaluation session when I was in medical school, I received some shocking feedback. Rather than receiving constructive criticism on my knowledge, skill, or anything useful at all to my growth into becoming a doctor, I was merely told that I needed to smile more and be more approachable. What about my ability to suture or present at rounds or how well I knew my patient's history or any actual good measure of being a doctor? There's no way a male med student would have ever received the feedback to smile more. Why am I judged by these completely different standards? Instead of substantial advice, I was told that I need to work on my appearance. Why do I need to appear nice if I'm a good doctor and provide amazing care? So the reason why I read this out is because I wanted to know, has the experience of being a female doctor been at all like the story I just read? Because I've also heard stories um, where you've been mistaken for being a nurse or an assistant rather than the actual doctor. Mm -hmm. So do you think that there's certain stereotypes or preconceived notions attached to being a female doctor? Um, definitely. And and uh, I'm so sorry to like, this is, this is a story that unfortunately I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, I will say, however, that it's as as a physician, you know, and always, and also as nurses and as any health professional, it's important to have a certain level of empathy and and to make the patients feel like they're, you know, to make them feel well. So of course, you know, you know, being welcoming is always a is always a, a good thing. Um, equality. However, I don't think that um, it's very subjective evaluation. So, you know, one might, may find you very stiff and very dark and someone else may find you very bubbly and very interesting, right? So I don't think that's the place of the, of the, of the senior uh, doctor to tell that to a resident um, unless, it's, unless it's a problem and they're just bluntly rude, which I don't think that was the case in that, in that story. So um, being a female is always, they have ex people have expectations. They have expectations that uh, you'll look nice, that you smell nice, that you'll wear nice clothes, that your shoes will be looking, you know, it's always that, that um, you know, that level of expectations that's on, their, on our back, but really um, that's not expected from a man, you know. Um, if you have messy hair one day, you look, you, you look, you look not, well put together but if a male have messy hair oh he he was up all night that's normal you see what i mean so 
it's it's sad but it's, this is just as long as there will be a majority of men in the um in in the highest ranks of our profession and i'm not just talking about senior professors i'm also talking about um people in in academic functions um editors and publishers and things like that we will never see a change you know it's it's as simple like that i think it's better in the new generation though I like to think that it's a little bit better. We can only hope that, you know, the generations that come after us don't have to experience the types of experiences that we might yes. have to go through today. Um, and yeah, I do agree. I think things are getting somewhat better, but there are still things where maybe there's not overt racism that people are experiencing or mm -hmm. sexism, but it's still definitely there in micro scenarios, like you no, mentioned before. Definitely. And I think, I think that people are scared or threatened feel threatened by anything that looks different you know so i remember i remember um being a very uh, i'm a very active person you know i i may have traits of adhd because i'm always always i i'm moving i move a lot i i'm bubbly i talk i'm loud um i move my hands a lot when i talk um you know and and whenever i'm doing something i you know when i'm finished i'm done to something else you know i don't waste time so and i've always been like that and never was it a problem for school for um studying as a physician i mean i'm here right now right so i remember being in one uh, getting an evaluation where this doctor told me um you um you know I, i'm concerned because you talk really fast and and you 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 walk fast and i'm like well, how is that a problem is it like why do you feel like mentioning this in my it was my evaluation and then and then she said well you know my son is three years old and um he has adhd and i really think that you show some signs of adhd but then you're talking to a resident, someone who's in her 20s, trying to make, to, you know, trying to succeed, trying to become a physician, and you're comparing them to your three years old son. You know, there's, there's, there's a lack of empathy. There's a lack of like, it's, it's like, um, I don't know, I don't even know how to say that. It's just, it's inappropriate, really, you know? And I think part of that problem is that, um, and it was a female doctor who told me that. You know, so that's why I'm saying that anything who looks different is 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 usually a problem. You know, um, you know. I, I anyway. So it's it's just unfortunate. I think it's it's just time to see more diversity, more color, more females. Um, you know, for us to be to see a change. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you bring up that the doctor that told you that was a female because females do have biases against females mm. and there have been studies that do show that for example when you're submitting resumes if a male were to present the same credentials but you take that same resume and add a female's name to it that female would be less as likely to be chosen compared to the male even if it was a female evaluator they would still take that male over that female um, mm -hmm. just because of the biases that we might not be aware of. So to sort of extend on some of the issues we've been discussing, there was also a journal by Ganguly et al. published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and they claim that female doctors spend more time with patients but earn less money than men. 
Uh, would you agree with the statement or in your experience, have you faced any inequalities like this journal outlines? It has been shown like this is this is a study that was that was published and it says that patients who leave the hospital who had a female physician who was discharged by a female physician have um, have a less person have less chances to come back to the emergency in the next month or something like that. You know, um, in my experience, I have worked with amazing doctors. You see the difference in the style of women versus men. Um, but being a cardiologist, already already being like, you know, a specialist working in centers like the Munchal Heart Institute or the Mazankowski Cardiology um, Center, um, you know, you're already at the top of of, you know of the pyramids you know everybody is really good at what they do and they're very diligent and they're very you know passionate passionate so um i've rarely seen sloppy doctors <laughs> but if i had to compare women are usually you know they have a better writing you know they they're very they're they're we we i say they we are very you know um um, um, you know, focus on the details and we sit and we talk to the patients and, and we take our time and we're like a mommy, right? Um, so yes, this is this this study does not necessarily surprises me, but I have to say that I've also seen male doctors take the time and being the best, you know, that I've ever seen. Um, so so these are facts and 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 it's to me it's not too surprising. Money-wise, salary-wise, um, I think there's also a choice in the type of practice um, that women may, may choose. Um, some women may do more clinics. Some women uh, may choose to have children as well. Um, so this might play a role, and this might uh, this might you know impact the the amount of money earned at the end of the year. Um, but overall, I do not think that should be there should be a difference. You also see women less in an academic position, so that's also another thing. But I couldn't, I couldn't explain necessarily the difference. No, oh, yeah, that's completely fair. So it was International Women's Day recently. Is there any female figure or role model who has influenced you or inspired you in your life or career? One person in particular that I'll always cherish and have close to my heart is Dr. Yvette Bonny, which she's a hematologist. Uh, she was born in Haiti, and she did, I, I believe she did uh, her medical studies in Haiti and came here. Um, she performed, and she is she is a black woman, of course, from my country. So, um, And she performed the first transplant of bone marrow in the east of Canada. So um, uh, I met with her a few times. Uh, I even shadowed her and, and, and seeing her with, their, with the kids, and I could never be a peds. She's a peds hematologist. So two things that really, ugh, not for me. However, um, to see someone who looked like me, that was just mind-blowing. And to see how good she was and to see what she had achieved, um, I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that, right? So in the medical field, yes, this is definitely someone that I admire, that I respect as well. So I would say her. That's Yeah, I think having like those role models to look up to and like to relate to is so important. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that many students out there, including myself, can relate to the stress and the frustration of trying to pursue academically rigorous paths and careers. Um, so were there ever times where you ever felt like giving up as well? Uh, for example, during med school, because I can only imagine how taxing it must have been um, emotionally and physically. And if you did, what were the things that motivated you to keep going? 
So I never wanted to give up. I remember having lows and, and questioning if I was at the right place, if that was for me. I, you know, what we call the imposter syndrome. I always thought that I was, you know, maybe not as good as the others or, um, but never, never that made me feel like I had to stop. It always made me want to do more. Um, because I really wanted to, to become what I'm, what I am today. Um, and I wasn't going to let go. Especially after doing, you know, after completing five years of medical school and being after it, I think I had my worst. My worst time was around the second year of residency or third year of residency. That was very difficult. It was a turning point because I was finishing my internal medicine residency, which is kind of like general cardiology, a specialty of general cardiology, um, or about everything basically. Um, and I was applying to become a, a cardiologist. Um, even after being accepted accepted in the cardiology program, I still have doubts about, should I be doing this? Am I going to be strong enough to finish this? Um, and there was also a lot of external factors that were kind of like feeding those bad ideas. Um, but eventually, you know, you kind of, you lose track, but you, I mean, it's usually you come back to your first, your first thoughts and you keep going, right? Um, what I did to help me at some point, I had to to take care of my personal life more. So I became my job. I became um, a resident. That's it. That's what I was. I was Alexandra slash resident. You know. So even outside of of school, outside of the hospital, I was obsessed with um, you know what was happening at the hospital or what I could do to be better when I was going to go back to the hospital. At some point, I realized it was. Um, it was kind of destroying me, really. So I had to kind of reboot, and I went back to you know some hobbies. I started doing yoga. <laughs> I was like, you need to do something different. <laughs> I heard about yoga. I'm gonna try that. Um, so I, I started doing that. Started exercising again. Started eating well, better. Um, so you know, seeing my friends, just forcing my myself to actually say yes when they would call and ask me to go out. Um, so, so I think that coming back to your, to yourself, um, and being kind to yourself, um, is, is the one thing that I would say, because then you can, from there, you can kind of like, you know, each person has a different type of taking care of themselves. Right. So, uh, you know, some me times of self time, I think that's what kind of saved me from kind of drowning in the craziness of medicine. Thank you for sharing that. So our student group, University of Alberta's Women Empowering Women, um, aims to combat gender-based violence or inequality. And we really started this platform not only to promote awareness for our listeners, but to create discussion and to allow our guests to really voice things that they are passionate about um, or really what they want to raise awareness on and the issues surrounding it. So on that note, is there anything that you believe needs to happen for progress to take place and be achieved? I think that cardiology and like the, the cardiovascular um, disease in women right now are not well, un not well understood. Um, there's a big hole in the literature. Um, in studies, usually there's like something like 30% of women. It's never that much. Um, our bodies, our bodies is different. Our body is different from from the male body. It's not just a question of sex. You know, we have different hormones. We have different. You know, you know, it's it's where it's a different thing. It's in a different system. 
So <clears throat> we already know that there's are, there are some differences between men and, and women, but there's literally a big um, gap in the literature. So I think that we need to do something more for that. I recently joined the Canadian Women... Ah, I forgot the name. Anyway, it's the Alliance for, to, for Cardiovascular Disease in Women. So it's it's uh, it's an alliance that makes sure that um, you know there is a better understanding of cardiovascular disease in women, and also promotes research, and also helps the people, like you know, people who are not doctors, understand the cardiovascular disease in women. So you know, this is something that I would want to see um, grow. So that's why I joined this alliance. But I can't say the name. <laughs> I'm not proud of myself, but um, but this is one of my of my new projects that I cherish, and and I hope that we'll be able to do better on that on that side. So, um, as me and Eileen are both minorities, um, we're both women of color, and a lot of our listeners are also from various backgrounds. What would be your advice to them, especially for ones who are, you know, pursuing STEM or a medicine career? I'll say first of all, be yourself, um, because I remember trying to fit in, and it was a failure. Um, I would say be yourself, um, and to really anyone, you know, double minority or not, um, I would say just pick a goal and go for it. Just use everything you can in your environment, people, resources, anything. And, and go for it. Don't let anyone, anything stop you. I personally like to look at the bigger picture. So whenever I am subject to a microaggression, whenever I'm subject to someone saying something really mean to me or anything like that, I usually don't, I usually, um, don't necessarily burn the bridge right away. Um, I'll say something. I'll, and I, I'm, I'm sassy and I'm, you know, my friends know. <laughs> I'll say something. but. I usually try to keep in mind that I'm going somewhere, you know. So payback to someone who did something wrong to you can also can also be, hey, in my case, hey, I'm you know here right now. What do you have to say, you know? And, you know, by the time you finish um, reaching your goal, you might even forget about those people. So so uh, or situations. So that's what I would say. I would say, don't forget the bigger picture. You know, you can fight. You can talk, you can say, you can do anything you want um, because at the end of the day, you're trying to get the respect you deserve, but don't forget that there's a bigger picture. That's what I would say. That's, that's really good advice. I think that honestly, like for seeing you and being like that, you know, representation of like women can just, you can really achieve anything, I think. And like, if you really put your mind to it, as they yes, say. That's what I believe, to be honest. Yeah. And I think like for me, like when I found out about you, I was literally like <sighs> with my mom and then I told her about you. She's like, oh my God, she's a doctor. You can do it too. You know? <laughs> I think it's like, it's really empowering. And I think, you know, being a black woman to see another person who looks like me, right? Mm -hmm. In that field and really being as successful as they are, I think is so important. So when people really say like representation matters, I think it, it really does. Like it, it's very influential and I think um, we need more of that. So I think but with your advice and um, a lot that you've achieved and I think that's your black excellence as we say. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice. Her mom was so excited when she messaged me. She was like, we need to get her on our show. And we were so excited when you responded back. So thank you. Of course, you. of yeah. course. Thank you for coming here. Yeah. It's my pleasure. So uh, we are a empowering student group. So what does women empowerment mean to you? I think women empowering is, it means being there for the others. It means as, as you know, as much as possible, giving a hand to people who are trying to get where you are, who are, you know, or helping each other out. Support, it means support too to me. And it's not like it's us against the others. You know, I think that it's just us amongst the others. And that's why we need, and that's, that's what the reason why I'm, I'm making that difference is that we need to really stand by each other's side and try to make a difference. It's way, it's, it's way much easier when it's more than one person, when it's a group, you know, of people fighting for the same cause. History have shown us that, have shown that, you know, for many years. So um, I think it's the same thing with women empowerment, you know, whenever I, I know that my Instagram feeds has been changing over the last, you know, over the last years, as I'm following like dogs of color, like Dr. This and Dr. That, and they're all like men of color. And like, you know, it's, it's fun to see and to, and then I repost stuff, or then I comment, I like and share, you know, how social medias are. Um, so that allows them to have a better, a, a better reach of people. And it allows me, um, to also be empowered by what, by what they're doing. Um, and that's not just on social media, it's also in real life, right? If, uh, if one of my friends publishes an article, I'll, you know, I'll, pub, I'll, put it on, I'll put it on my Twitter feeds or I'll talk about it at, at, at a journal club or, you know, so um, I'll suggest names. Right now I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm not a co-chair, but I'm on the committees. I'm, not, I'm on one of the committee for um, one of the biggest um, uh, um, cardiovascular um, convention in, in, in Canada. And, you know, whenever they're asking for names and everything, we're trying to insert more women. We're trying to bring people of color. So I think I think that that's what empowerment is. It's giving an opportunity to, to others when you get the chance and expecting that, you know, other girls are going to do the same. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a coalition. It's like a team, big team. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's a good point to make. Because I think that, like, hundreds of years ago, right, women were like denied access to even like, honestly, like me and Eileen being university students, we weren't able, especially being minorities, have access to that, right? And mm -hmm. I think as a whole for women, we were denied really in ever reaching that same level of a men's right in achieving whether it be academia, mm -hmm. in any field, right? Yeah. So I think that for us to, like you said, support each other as a collective and really stick by each other's and it's a beautiful thing so yeah so on that note thank you so much for joining us today dr bestiani thank you thank you it was a pleasure to be able to talk to you um you are for sure an empowering woman you are an inspiration to so many young girls out there and thank you for being a champion for women everywhere <laughs> thank you thank you so much for having me girls it was yeah. really a pleasure and thank you for your powerful messages as well of course, of course. <laughs> so that's it for today's episode. If you would like to keep up with our student group, don't forget you can check out our IG at UA underscore WEW 
or our website, w4w.ca. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you stay empowered and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.